Good morning. Good afternoon. What was the old, um, oh gosh, George Norrie. What was the name of that show? Coast to Coast. That's it. I think he said something like, good morning, good afternoon, something, something, wherever you are. If you're calling from east of the Rockies, call this number. Calling from west of the Rockies, call this number. You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. It is 4.54, September 13th, 2020. Appreciate you listening. I've got a pretty interesting show today. Not too heavy into uh, politics. A little bit, I think. Once again, this is not a pre-recorded intro. And once again, I'm going to try not to push stop. But thanks for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. Or as some people like to say, Brandon Harper. I'm just a regular dude with lots of opinions. And no money because I opened a brewery. So I do this podcast once a week or so. Just to get things off my chest, put my opinions out there. Definitely don't make any money off of it, but I would definitely like to change that. So if you're somebody who can make something happen, hit me up. If you're not, please keep listening. Okay, without further ado, I present to you today's program. show for you today. You know, I really do not understand how talk radio people can do this for like five hours a day, five days a week. I don't know how. There's just, there's a lot to think about. You know, I just did this, the last one on, what was it, Tuesday, something like that. And then here I am Sunday again, trying to do another one. And I was like, I just don't know if I have anything to talk about. Then as the day went on, I started thinking about stuff and I've got a little list. You know, as we're talking about change, and everyone wants to change things and reform and make them better and improve them, I've got something to go on that list of change. And it involves change, but not the kind of change that you make, the kind of change that you get. You know when you pay for something with good old-fashioned cash, which I've been doing that quite a bit lately, and so one of my pet peeves is when you hand someone a bill to pay for something. And let's just say your change is $8.93. And instead of handing you the receipt and then the 93 cents for you to dump into your pocket and then the $8 in bills, they just hand you this big, massive pile of coin receipt paper bills. And now you got to fool with it. you got six people behind you waiting to check out. And you're all a little bit flustered because you're trying to figure out what... Uh, uh, I got my wallet in one hand, I got my phone, I got a handful of change and receipt and paper money, and I got the guy pushing me the basket, and it's just, it's just too much to happen at one time. I think... I don't know how to implement this change, but I feel like that the standard protocol should be... hand Put the receipt in the bag, first of all. Nobody needs a receipt. Nobody wants a receipt in their hand. 
put the receipt in the bag unless told otherwise. So that's one less thing now we have to deal with. So then I think the protocol should be, so the receipt's in the bag, and then first hand them the change, the coin money. And then you're still holding the $8. You haven't given that over yet. You hand the coin change. They can either dump it in their pocket. They can put it in their coin purse. They can drop it in the little Ronald McDonald box. They can do whatever they want to with it. And then hand them the folding money. I mean, was there... I feel like this was, I feel like the system that people follow is just whatever's easiest for the cashier. And we don't make change at the brewery with coins, but if we did, I would tell, I would tell the people first hand them their change, give them a second to get situated and then hand them their money. It's not difficult, but I don't think there's anyone or I would love to hear from you. Who says, nope, I want it all in one big pile. <laughs> it's just nobody wants that. And when people hand it to me separately, it's like receipt, coins, dollars. I thank them immensely. I say, thank you so much for doing that. I, You know, am I the only person that thinks about this kind of stuff? I don't know. Please, please don't view it as me griping about something because really I just notice it and I see it and I look to improve it. That's what this all boils down to is if... Um, yeah, people oftentimes get bitching and looking to improve things confused. And certain times they may sound alike, but really, I'm just looking for a better way to do things. And that's that's part of my personality. It's the way that I've always been. I always look for a better way. And that doesn't mean that things are being done wrong or bad. It's just that there's there's usually a better way to do things. Unless you're like Chick-fil-A, which there's probably no better way to speed their lines up. And let me just tell you how much I hate lines. I hate lines. I feel like lines are socialistic. And typically lines happen either because there was a big rush on something, or there's a really good product, or there's an inefficient way of expediting the line. But typically, lines are not good. They don't, people don't enjoy lines because they're a time waster. You're sitting in line. What's the first thing you do? Take out your phone. You're just wasting time. I walk into the store. I see a big line. I just say, nope. I turn around and walk out. I think I mentioned on the last podcast that like every single drive through fast food place, there's a huge line. And I just look at these people sitting in their car in line and just think, are you really are you really willing to sit in your car at McDonald's where the food is not even food? It's questionable for like 25, 30 minutes. I can look in a line and say, you know what? That's it's at least 25 minutes. And it's backed up all day long. It doesn't matter what time. I mean, Chick-fil-A, we all know the line's nuts. At least Chick-fil-A invest money and time and energy into figuring out how to make it faster. Even then, I just look at Chick-fil-A and I'm like, yeah, the chicken's good. The fried chicken's fine. It's good. It's a good sandwich. It's a great breakfast biscuit. But I'll be dang, I don't have 25 minutes out of my day to sit there in my car and wait for fast food. It blows my mind. I don't, I think we've got to be the only country that does it. We've got to be. But yeah, I've always hated lines ever since I was a little kid. My dad's hated lines. My granddaddy's hated lines. Now his great granddaddy hated. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I just I just know that I'm not patient when it comes to lines. And 
That was one of my biggest complaints in Nicaragua. Is that you, everything? There's a line for everything. Everything because people are understaffed. People they have no motivation to go faster. Like they make the same amount of money either way. Very very socialist lines are. Speaking of cheaters, you know what really bothers me is that when people park in handicapped parking spots and they don't really need to be there. And I know what the common answer is. Don't judge. You don't know their situation. They could have had surgery on their foot. They could be diabetic and need to get to their insulin or apple juice. Yep, I know. I get all that. But I feel like those are the exceptions, not the rules, to people who park in handicapped parking spots and walk just fine. There's, I just picture, I picture some punk pulling into a parking spot with some illegitimate handicapped parking tag and parking there and getting off of his ass and walking in there. Then I picture like some old man or old lady like drive up like, oh, they're like 90 and they're having a hard time driving. It makes them nervous. It's, there's a lot of traffic and they don't want to be there. They're worried about COVID. Their kids are telling them not to leave their house. And they pull up and oh, there's no handicapped parking spots. And oh man, to, to have to go find a spot without the extra width to pull in there and to, to get, it's just, and then to walk through the parking lot, that really bothers me. And, and I wonder if the, the people, that the lazy SOBs who, who park in the parking, handicapped parking spots who shouldn't, if they saw that with their own eyes, would they change their behavior? Or would they just keep doing it because they're that worthless and, and lazy? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it shouldn't bother me, but it does. I've known people who have done this. I've done this before. You know how old I was when I thought I should do this? Like 12 or 11. I think by the time I was 13 or 14, I understood, nah, that's not cool. It's not going to kill me to walk another 20 feet. I mean, you want to talk about the epitome of lazy lazy people that they have to park up front. They don't want to walk an extra 20 or 30 feet. It's like the people who don't put the shopping carts in the corrals. You know what? The last thing I want to do is put the shopping cart away. But I do it for two reasons. To help the guy who pushes carts and to keep it from bumping into other cars. It's really not too different from wearing a mask, right? Wrong. Here's the difference. The difference is I don't expect people to put the carts away. They've shown me, they've, they've proven that lots of people don't put them away. And I don't think we should make laws. I don't think we should make rules. I don't think we should force them to put them away. I think we should just take note and just notice that that's the kind of people they are. And that's it. And then, and then we can treat them accordingly. You know what? If we think that they're too irresponsible to put carts away and we don't want to be friends with them, then we don't have to be friends with them. We don't have to like them. But we don't need vigilantes running around screaming at people to put carts away. I saw some video the other day. I think it was on Instagram of like the cart police. And he was like running up screaming at people for not putting their carts away. As much as it annoys me for someone to not put their cart away, I would never go up to them and chastise them for not putting their cart away. And, and the main reason is, other than I'm just not that kind of guy, a, a big reason is, is that if you want someone to do something, like screaming at them and telling the, them that they're wrong or they're doing things wrong or they're lazy 
or that they're stupid is the last way to get compliance. And these mass shamers don't understand that. They just don't get it. I had a conversation with a guy on Friday who, you know, was at the brewery and he's an acquaintance. Kind of, I, I'd call him a friend, kind of a friend. Older guy, you know, taking the, taking the COVID seriously, which is perfectly fine. But telling the story about how he, he went off on some guy for not wearing a mask. And I thought, like, that's not the way to get someone to wear a mask. So the whole point of this is I forgot. <laughs> the whole point of this is, like, don't, don't cheat old people out of parking spots. And if you do see someone cheating an old person out of a parking spot, have a conversation with them. And not, like, scream at them. Like, if your goal is to not have lazy people park in handicapped spots, the best way to do that is to explain to them the story about the old man trying to find a parking spot and not being able to find one. And maybe, just maybe, you'll convince them. And if you don't, and if that doesn't work, maybe they're not convincible. Move on down the road. It's not your job. Don't be the police. Be the motivator. Don't be the mask police. Be the mask motivators. I remember my mom sometimes would would uh, would get mad with at the waitstaff at a restaurant and about her food or, or or whatever. Yes, normally it's poor service or improper food preparation. And I remember saying to her, like, "Mom, if you want them to comply, don't be mad at them. You, your goal isn't to make them feel bad. Your goal is to get the food you want at the temperature you want when you want it. And so, you just got to be sweet. That's all." You just got to be sweet. But don't get me wrong. There comes the point when it's confrontation time. But that's like the last piece of the puzzle, not the first piece. One of the hot topics of today that has become highly politicized is, quote unquote, mail in ballots. And it's funny to me, like anything we do is just highly politicized these days. The left takes a side and the right takes a side and we all fight about it until something else comes up and we fight about it until something else comes up and the news cycles are getting shorter and shorter. But yeah, I mean, this whole mail-in ballot thing, I don't know. I, I mean, I try to look at it from a non-political standpoint. Like, so we have a system in place that's called absentee voting. I'm not sure why this isn't good enough or what, else people want i guess they just want it to be easier to vote but the system works you just say hey i'm requesting a ballot i'm going to vote absentee i don't know if you have to give them a reason it might be different for each state but i don't think a state can deny you if, especially right now when you said i don't want to go because covid they would probably issue one no questions asked i'm not sure what people want in addition to that i think they just want blanket a ballot mailed to them. Maybe they don't want to pick up the phone and make a phone call. But I got to thinking, like, if you if you presented the idea of a mail-in ballot to a 10-year-old and you broke it down and you said, you know, we're going to mail these ballots in, you know, only one vote, one person, we don't want to screw up the election, would they say, like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea? Or they say, hmm, seems to me like there might be some cheating going on. I mean... Regardless of whether you're Republican, Democrat, whatever, there's going to be cheating. It's not just going to be one side that cheats. 
both sides are going to cheat. And if you don't think that, you are crazy in your head. I'm just waiting for Trump to come out and say, okay, you know what? Let's do mail-in ballots. You going to out-cheat me? Does anyone know that I'm the best at cheating on mail-in ballots? There are no better mail-in cheaters than me. <laughs> I would love for him to come out and say that. And I feel like the people who are screaming for mail-in ballots would be like, Trump's going to cheat. He's going to cheat. We can't, we can't do the ballots. We can't do the mail-out ballots. What are we going to do? I don't know. Let's impeach him. Wait, he's already been impeached. Sorry, guys. You're out of tricks. But yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's going to be enough to matter. I think this is going to be such a landslide that they can even, they can even cheat on the mail-in ballots and they can pick up an extra 100,000 votes. I mean, let's just say that they get, I don't know, 500,000 votes. I mean, of course, it depends on what state they're coming in, but certain states, like, if you get 500,000 blue votes in Texas, you're not going to change it. It's not going to change the, the state's uh, electoral college. I mean, most of the states are going to go one way or the other. I mean, Florida, Ohio, there's a couple ones that, that, that could go either way. And, and maybe we should just watch those particular states very, very closely. I mean, if, if California ended up, like, red, we would know something happened. We would know something's not right. If New York ended up red, if Texas ended up blue, we would know something happened. We could look into it and figure it out. So, I don't know. I don't go nuts over the mail-in ballot voting. I feel like there are so many bigger fish to fry. I feel like Trump can out-cheat the heck out of the left if he wants to. So, if you're dead set on a kindergartner-style mail-in ballots where... You just check the mail every day. When your ballot comes, you fill it out and send it back. If you're dead set on that, okay, just keep in mind, you're probably not going to out-cheat Trump. But anyone who thinks that there won't be cheating, come on, man, as Biden would say. I mean, scammy people are out there. They walk amongst us. You know them. You've met them. You know, there's the, there's the people who, they go out and they buy a, a dress or a suit and they wear it for one event. And they put the tags back on it and they take it back. Or they complain about their food after they've eaten half of it, trying to get something for free. Or they figure out that there's some coupon has been printed and it doesn't say limit one. So they'll go in and they'll try to use seven coupons to pay for something. And it's just like they're just always looking to scam or, or cheat the system. And those people are super annoying, but they're out there. And those are the kind of people that will cheat on an election. And I feel like scammy, scammy type people, they're not typically Republican or Democrat. Criminals, criminals, per the history books, are very, very typically, well, I'm not going to say, <laughs> uh, you can make up your own mind. But yeah, the, the numbers, numbers don't lie. Not all blank are criminals, but all criminals are blank. You can fill in the blank. But yeah, I don't know. I'm done with scammy people. I don't. I used to have some friends that were scammy, scammer, scammerish, and I'm just like, ugh, it's repulsive now. Like, these the types of people that I know that were scammy, like they could afford to spend the money that they were, whatever it is that they were trying to get, but they actually get a thrill out of scamming. They get a rise out of it. It's a, it's a game for them. It makes them feel good. And I just can't be for that, especially at someone else's expense. You know, and I don't buy into the fact of, well, it's a, it's a big company. It's a big company, so we can do blank. 
Like, no, that doesn't, that's not right and wrong. Doesn't depend on the size of the person you're scamming. Now, if there's a judgment call, and let's just say Walmart puts the wrong price tag on something versus the mom and pop gas station puts the wrong price tag on something, sure, I can understand someone taking advantage of Walmart in that sense. But that was kind of Walmart's mistake. Even I still, I still wouldn't do it. I mean, t- to me, wrong is wrong is, and right is right. And yeah, I don't know. There's some, someone out there, someone is going to have to deal with the situation that made the scammer benefit. Whether it be someone who's in accounting, is like, uh-oh, we have all kinds of shrinkage. We did this. I messed up. I screwed up on the, the uh, coupon that we printed. You know, there's, there's all sorts of reasons that would come back. You know, it's like when someone gives you the wrong change. Like, yeah, sure. You know what? When I was 15, I kept it. But as you get older, you're like, you know what? This is not right. It's not my money. Someone made an error. And, and to take advantage of someone's error, and, and it's different, in my opinion, an error and negligence are, are different things kind of in this scenario. And, and you know what? I'm just speaking right now off the, off the dome. I have not thought this through, so I may contradict myself. But I feel like buying a vehicle from someone who doesn't know what they have is different than the clerk giving you the wrong amount of change back. Because one is just, well, someone didn't take the time to figure out, fill in the blank. And the other one was, someone made an error while they were figuring out blank. I don't know. It's tricky. I'm going to keep thinking about this one. This is an interesting uh, exercise of the mind, so to speak. One thing that's really stuck out to me lately is how... Our culture is becoming softened. And, and by that, I mean the average American on a global scale has got it made. They've got it made in a shade. And so as time's gone on, things for the average Westerner or American, their life has gotten a little bit easier and a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And I, and I don't mean like doesn't, they don't have to work as hard. I just mean like... We went, in 50 years, we went from, like, cars that don't have power steering to cars that are almost driving themselves, are climate-controlled air blowing out of their seats, they have Wi-Fi on board, you can hook your phone up to them wirelessly, they have cruise control. And so, as each need gets met, we immediately look to the next problem. And so, as we move forward through time... We're constantly looking for that next thing to attack. And this is, this is kind of going back to what I say, like, I'm always looking to find a better way, always looking to improve. Like, this is a, a strong Western trait. You know, we don't think about it, but you don't see this in other countries. I mean, I compare everything to Nicaragua just because I used to live there and I spent so much time there. But you go to almost any other country, except for some Western Europeans, people are not looking for the next best thing immediately. I mean, I guarantee you that like Apple, before the latest iPhone is released, they've already got an idea for the next one after that. You know, it's just, it's a non-going thing. And that's partly why our country produces so much technology. And the next thing that's always the latest and greatest thing comes out of the U.S. 
every now and then you'll see Japan, but that's only in like, um, you know, technology or, or things that they really have, have a lot of interest in. But for the most part, the U.S. leads the way when it comes to innovation. And so, you know, countries who, in countries where people don't have enough money to buy a car and they can barely afford the purchasing and maintenance of a motorcycle, figuring out how to get Wi-Fi from a car is not even on their radar. It doesn't matter to them. That's so far. Like, they're worried about how they're going to feed their kids the next week. And so we oftentimes look at America and we think of, oh, how bad things are. And and if we've just never seen times like this and it's just doom and gloom and we're just, the whole country's going to hell. It ain't never going to be like the good old days. That, that might partly be true, but we can look at it as a blessing and say, you know what? Like, I always say, I say this a lot. You know what? America is so great. Even poor people are fat. Yeah. Yeah. Most countries around the world, poor people can't afford to be fat. They don't eat enough food. I think this also carries over into the political realm. And I think, especially on the, on the social side of things, I mean, as time goes on and things become better, people want more and they want better. The problem, though, is if you can't quantify things, if you can't measure things, you can't define better. And this is where I think we're at with the police brutality situation and the Black Lives Matter. Like they are. They're asking for an act. They're, they're asking for people to act and they want things to feel a certain way. We can't commit to doing it because there's no way to measure whether or not we've we've accomplished anything. I just wish people would start using numbers for metrics to make policy and not feelings. I don't see how people can disagree with the notion that making policy on feelings is bad. I don't see how anyone can disagree with that. I don't see how people can say, well, we should make policy based on how we feel. No, 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 we should not because our feelings change and you feel differently than the way I feel. And there's no way to accurately compare the way we feel. We hear things like there were this many shootings per month and we say, well, that's too many. Well, we don't know. How many was it last year? How many was it last week? Why is, why is the number changed? What's been done to stop the number from changing even more? There's just, there's lots of hard questions out there that need asking. But people won't do it because they're scared of what people will think about them. A wise man once said, imagine how much good you could do in the world if you didn't give a damn what anyone thought about you. I couldn't agree more with that statement. I mean, naturally, we care what people think about us. Anyone who says that they don't care what people think about them is lying because it does matter. But what shouldn't matter, at least in my opinion, is that you shouldn't care what people think about you if they don't know you. Because if they don't know you, what are they basing their decision on? They, they hear a couple snippets. And, and I'm of the mindset, like, you really don't know what someone's about until you kind of know them. You need to know them pretty well. 
You need to know what their intentions are. And, and until you can predict what people would do in certain situations, you probably don't know them that well. And it's kind of crappy to presume guilt over innocence. If you don't know someone, you don't know the story. Like walking into a courtroom and saying someone's guilty without hearing the whole thing. And we are so quick to do that now. We're so quick to judge people and, and make accusations and point the finger and say who's to blame and get riled up and get worked up before we know any facts. I just think it would do good if everyone could agree to just slow down. Just slow down to judgment. Don't ask anyone what they think. Let's hear all the facts come out and see what happens. And I think this right now particularly can apply to the George Floyd case. The guy was chock full of fentanyl. He was saying he couldn't breathe when he was sitting upright. And, and, and I, as I describe this, I want you to picture it, close your eyes and picture it as just two invisible people. Or, or the cops are invisible and, the, and George Floyd is invisible. There's no skin color. There's nothing. Let's just assume that from the get-go. And if he was, in fact, chock full of fentanyl, and if he was, in fact, saying from the very get-go, before they even took him out of the police car, if he was, in fact, saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, who's to say that he didn't die from the fentanyl overdose? Now, I'm not defending the cops. I'm not saying what they did was right. I'm not saying anything other than maybe there's another side of the story. And if we want to have a justice system that we can get behind, we have to hear both sides of the story. To assume that they did what they did because the man was black is a huge judgment. We don't know that. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But we should hear the rest of the story and the rest of the facts before we go to predicting that. But people want it to be true. They, they want to have someone to blame for his death other than himself. And you might say, well, that's, that's kind of a reach. How can you say that? Here's how I can say that. Because people fake it all the time, right? Jesse Smollett, Bubba Wallace, all these people that claim to have hate crimes against them that turn out to be false. We never go back and talk about those. We never revisit them. Bubba Wallace shut down the entire NASCAR track and had, had this huge display, this ordeal about support me, I'm black, and they tied a noose in my garage. What does that mean? It means they want to hang me. Come to find out it was a loop on the door to pull the garage door down. Every single door had them. But, but no one goes back and readdresses that. And if you do, well, that makes you a racist. I mean, the FBI sent like 13 people to go investigate this racial hate crime, only to find out the guy saw a loop tied onto a garage door that was used because it was so high you couldn't reach the door, so they needed a loop to grab onto to pull the door down. Very, very different than someone tying a hangman's noose that they used to use to lynch people with onto the only black driver in NASCAR's stall door. My only point is people want that to be true for whatever reason. People have different motivations. But if it wasn't sexy in their opinion, if it wasn't used to, to further their career, or to, to benefit them somehow, they wouldn't be doing it. They wouldn't be doing it, but they do. It happens all the time. One thing I think people forget is that businesses 
exist to make profits. And business owners choose the people who will most benefit their organization. And I think a vast majority of the time, they pay no attention to skin color or their race or anything that doesn't have a direct effect on their performance. Because I don't know of one business owner or business leader or executive who would overlook a more qualified candidate for a less qualified candidate because of the color of their skin. Let's just look at the NFL, right? There's lots of people out there who say, oh, the NFL owners are all racist. They're all racist. And of course, there's not really much to base this on. But if you break it down, I think like 70% of players in the NFL are black. 13% of Americans are black. So the, the, the scales are tipped way in favor of black people in the NFL. Why is that? Well, there's a few reasons. Um, either way, the owners pick who's going to benefit them the most. They want to win. They want to win the game. They want to win the competition of who can sell the most merchandise. And they want to win at filling the seats because then they make more money. And that feeds their ego and they feel better about themselves. And so recently there's been some talk about the NFL not having enough black coaches. Okay, let's look at that. But they have enough black players? Yep, yep, they have enough black players. Okay, but they need more black coaches. Okay. Currently, there's three black coaches in the NFL. There's 32 teams. That's roughly 10%. Okay? 13% of the people in the country are black. So add one more black coach, and it would be right in line with the population distribution. So how are you going to sit here and tell me that the NFL is racist when 70% of the players are black and roughly 10% of the coaches are black. Well, people say, well, they, they, they need to have more black coaches because they have more black players. Why? Why, why, why do they need to? It, is, is this what it takes to be a good player? Is that the exact same thing as what it takes to be a good coach? I would say no. What are these NFL owners doing? They're picking the coaches that are most likely to make them win just like they're doing with the players. I'm not going to sit here and say there are no racist NFL owners. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I wouldn't know that unless I got to know them well, or they made it blatantly obvious with some comments they made. Until then, we have to look at it from a logical standpoint. Do they want to win? Yes. Do they hire black players? Yes. Are there some black coaches? Yes, roughly 10%. How can we say they're racist? How? It doesn't add up. You see, because people that run businesses, they run them for profit. They're trying to make money. And I wholeheartedly believe that for a vast majority of businesses, that's far more important than the color of the skin of the people they hire. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people out there that make decisions based on skin color. And it's people like Joe Biden who agrees that they should pick a person of color for a running mate. And there's people out there who are giving Candace Owens a hard time saying that you're not like one of us. You're not with us. You don't want to be with us. You need to pick a black spouse. You're a sellout. You left your own kind. I mean, you do not hear white people saying that kind of stuff. You don't. 
But going back to the George Floyd case, I realized that there was uh, there was a top something I missed that I wanted to touch on. Um, so yeah, so these cops have been charged with second degree murder. That means that you had the intentions of killing someone. Maybe not when you woke up that morning. You didn't premeditate it. You didn't plan it out. That's first degree murder. But second degree is like you were negligent or you didn't care or you made the decision to do it. And that crime is not, they're not going to get convicted. You mark my word, they're not going to get convicted. And the city and the state and the country, they're going to erupt. And that's the DA's fault. They charged them too high. And they did it just to calm everyone down. But they're going to pay the they're going to pay the price. I think that they've motioned to move the uh, trial location, which is probably not a bad idea. But either way, you know, they they charged him, and then people got mad because it wasn't severe enough. So then, you know, holding them hostage, they said, "Okay, well, okay, okay, we'll up the charge. Whatever you say, people, we'll do whatever you want us to do. You're the people. We'll we'll, we'll just we'll make you happy. Whatever you have to do to get your vote." They raised the charge. There's no way a jury is going to find them guilty of second-degree murder. That's my prediction. But, yeah, I know I've talked a lot about racism lately and racism issues. But, uh, yeah, if it's, if it's too much or too heavy or, or you're tired of it, my apologies. But it's what's going on in the country right now. And, I mean, I just say what I think. And it's, it's probably it's what a lot of people won't say. But what, what happens is you see these, these white guys who they all feel a certain way. And, and maybe it's the way I feel. Maybe it's not. I don't know. And the, but they won't say it themselves. All they do is they, they share a post from Candace Owens or another black person that just happens to feel the same way. And they can say, they can do that. They can say, well, this is how I feel. But they won't say how they feel with their own words. And while I admire Candace Owens, I think she's great. She's, had, she's said exactly what I've thought before about George Floyd. I have reposted her stuff, but I'm starting to figure out like, you know what? This is how I feel. I am 100% confident that no one can convince me of anything different than how I feel. And if you choose to believe something, well, that's your fault or that's on you. I cannot convince you otherwise, but I'm not going to walk around and keep my feelings to myself in fear of being criticized. I mean, the First Amendment grants us the right to speak freely. And that is something that most countries don't have. I mean, I don't know if I've mentioned on here before, but I was going to take out a billboard in Nicaragua for a Nika Sail and Surf. And it was going to be this giant billboard right by the side of the road with this cool picture of the sailboat and people having a good time. And I ended up not doing it because the price was just ridiculous. But when they sent the contract over... There was the, most of the contract stipulated what I could and could not put on that billboard. And a majority of that was you cannot say a word about the president. And, and how lucky we are to live in a place where I could put a podcast out there, public domain, free of charge, and criticize the president. And that is something that I think people forget how lucky we are to have. So I would encourage everyone, as I wrap up today's program, running, running a little bit on the long side, which is funny because I didn't have much prepared, but I would encourage everyone to speak your mind respectfully and tell people how you feel. And, and, and don't enter or don't engage with people that you know is going to go nowhere. 
make your opinion known. If they want to hear it, they can hear it. If they don't want to hear it, they don't have to hear it. I'm not saying go out and just spout your opinion to people in the break room and tell them how wrong they are. I'm saying respectfully explain why you feel the way you feel. Whether or not you agree with me doesn't matter. I still encourage you to do this. And engage in conversation and and not be so willing to divide over a side. I mean, like as much as the cliche, I'm tired of it. Like we're all in this together. Like this, uh, the, the USA was nothing more than, than an experiment and it's been wildly successful. So we should, we should embrace those things that have made us successful and continue to, to take advantage of them. Because if we don't, they're going to go away. If we don't use our rights, they're going to go away. That's just how things work. So I don't know. There may have been a lot of rambling today. If there was, I apologize. I know one thing. The Eskimo bros will vouch for this. Don't go to Mexico and try to order pizza. Because they're going to put hot dogs on it. And don't go to Mexico and go to like a quote-unquote nice restaurant and order like enchiladas. Because they don't know what enchiladas are in Mexico. On the next episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about food. Which, I mean, who doesn't like that? Okay, that's it. I'm done. Thanks for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. I hope I didn't offend anyone. If I did, I'm not going to apologize, but I'd like to hear from you. If you need to email me, it's brandon at newacesbrewing.com. That's N-U-E-C-E-S, which has been confused for nooses. And I just shake my head and sigh. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo.